What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Late Night Health continues. I'm Mark Allen, along with the insane Daryl Wayne. Uh, we're going to go to Michigan, and we're going to talk with Deidre Fagan. Uh, she's an award-winning author and creative writing professor at Ferris State University in Michigan. Where is Ferris State? We are in Big Rapids, which is an hour north of Grand Rapids, or sort of near the ring finger if you're used to looking at the mitten on your hand. So, got it. just western side, yeah. So you must be a hop, skip, and a jump from Canada? About... Well, depending on how you get there, uh, it could be two to four hours, I suppose, depending on which direction you're trying to get in. Oh, my. So. Uh, and it must be close because you just said about. <laughs> I picked it up from my husband who's from Michigan. And now I'm originally from New York and I've lived all over. So sometimes you hear some Arizona, sometimes some New York, sometimes some Michigan now. <laughs> so Arizona. Um, I didn't know Arizona had a uh, had an accent, but uh, that's a twangy thing. Do they? Yeah, depends on how long you've been there. <laughs> Got it. Well, let's talk about your your book that's being released as we as we speak. Find a place for me, embracing love and life in the face of death. I guess the story, and I'm going to give this a short story, and we'll expand that. Your uh, husband was dying. He knew it, mm-hmm. and he wanted you to be happy. He found you a new husband. I mean, is that basically it? Well, the book is about a lot more, but that seems to be what's really um, gripping people. It's been actually surprising to see how much that's become central because that's really sort of the end of the book. <laughs> but it's really, um, I think, taken off in the interest of the audience uh, because I perhaps it's unusual. And I wouldn't say exactly found him, but he uh, turned my head in a direction. Got it. To, uh, to open your eyes to, 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 to someone specific? Is it, well, yeah, I think from the outside, it turned out to be a friend of ours um, who really stepped up for us a lot during my husband's illness. So he was around quite a bit near the end of his life. And, you know, at one point, my husband, uh, my late husband, just looked at me and said, you know, you two can really talk. And we knew each other inside and out. Um, People often described us as two halves of the same person. We communicated about everything. Um, 
And so when he said that, I knew exactly what he was implying. I I just kind of looked at him and I said, yes, you know, kind of wait for it. Where are you going? Um, And that's when he said, we both uh, studied philosophy. His PhD was in philosophy. Mine is not. um, I studied, I dabbled in it. That was his area. But uh, we both had a fondness for the philosopher Nietzsche. And one of the quotes we had often shared throughout our marriage and our relationship is that marriage is a long conversation. So when I when he said, you two can really talk, and I looked at him, I said, Yeah, you know, he said, we both know marriage is a long conversation. And then there was that, you know, pregnant pause. And I kind of went, Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so um, he was pointing out maybe that I hadn't been noticing that this friend of ours was somebody I was connecting with, and that maybe I ought to pay attention to that. Maybe that's something to think about. I think many people watch uh, romantic comedy films, which are, it's my favorite genre. Um, I don't watch horror films. I don't like them. I watch mysteries. Um, but, you know, rom-coms are, are what I really like. I forced my wife to watch them. <laughs> um, I, I, you can't force me to watch, you know, I think Chucky 5 is coming out. There is no way that I will ever, I mean, just looking at that gives me nightmares. I'm with you on that. I don't watch horror, and I do love rom-com. And, and, I, and I, call, I call that movie love. You know, it's boy gets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl in the end. I think most people want that. Do you think you had that with your former husband and maybe even your current one? Oh, absolutely. Um, My late husband uh, was the love of my life. I thought everything that I had survived and gone through to find him was, you know, he was kind of the the topping that I'd been waiting for. He was the one that was like the pinnacle, right? I was climbing uh, a difficult mountain at different points in my early life. I had had two early marriages um, that I did. I left before the year anniversary. He had had an early marriage. Um, He didn't leave before the first anniversary. In fact, she left him. They were together uh, for a while. Um, but we were, you know, 30 and 31 when we met and we felt like we'd really arrived at who we were and what we wanted and had learned a lot about ourselves in our 20s. And we just felt like we were we were it. This is it. This is the best, you know. And so I was completely devastated um, that he was dying. I didn't think I could outlive it. Um, I had lost all of my birth family members by the time I was 36. My mother died. Um, well, I had a brother who died. Uh, he he died by suicide when just before my 19th oh. birthday. My mother died at 23 of cancer. Um, when my late husband, Bob, and I were together, uh, we were together for six years when my father died of a heart attack um, unexpectedly. He seemed like he was in perfect health. had just been checked out. And then two weeks later, we lost my other brother to liver failure. Um, so we had gone through major loss together. Bob had loved my father and brother that he had gotten to know very much, and we grieved together. And then five years later, he was diagnosed with an illness that has no treatment, that does much, and no cure, no potential cure. So when you are told you have ALS, 
you know you are dying and you have a pretty good idea of when. Um, it's a short timeline. His was far shorter, but it's a short timeline no matter what. And so I was devastated. But Bob, ever the philosopher, um, the day after his diagnosis, before I had even, you know, stepped anywhere. I mean, we'd found out in the afternoon the day before and it was the morning after and he was we were pulling out of the hotel where we had had to stay to go see the specialist and he just said i want you to love again and you know my oh. instinct was you know i want to punch you in the face <laughs> <laughs> love you <laughs> you know but i want to slap you because i am nowhere near where you are how can you even say that to me i just could not believe um and you know i said i i cannot you know um but as time went on it became clear that bob believed that you know i would need that in my life and the children would need somebody to love them in their lives they were three and eight at the time of his diagnosis four and nine when he died and he knew that you know i didn't have family around etc yeah i guess you you could say that Bob taught you how to die well? Absolutely. In fact, um, part of why I wrote the book is because when I started to talk about, um, well, actually, before I even started to share this part of the process, after he died, as people were expressing their sympathies to me, they said, you know, Bob had always taught me how to live well, but he also now has taught me how to die well because he was so selfless and so forward looking for those who we, he was leaving behind. Uh, our guest is uh, Deidre Fagan, Dr. Deidre Fagan, uh, an award-winning author, creative writing professor. Um, we're gonna talk about that when we come back. Uh, the book is called Find a Place for Me, Embracing Love and Life in the Face of Death. Uh, when we come back, we'll continue our conversation about love and death as Late Night Health continues. Don't go away, more coming up. Recently, I met Jacqueline from Bright here in Los Angeles. She gave me a hearing exam and then showed me how to hear again with the new Signia Pure Series hearing aids, and she can give you your life back too. I hear birds chirping, birds cooing, and even my wife. They easily connect to my smartphone. The Signia hearing aids are amazing, and with the charge and go, I don't have to fiddle with batteries and hear all day long. Not hearing is frustrating for you and your family. I know, you don't have a problem, but trust me, call Bright here now for a free hearing exam, a $125 value, yours free, just for making an appointment now. 
There are offices throughout the Los Angeles area. Call Bright here now at 323-424-7100. That's 323-424-7100 for a free hearing exam. There's no obligation. Call now, 323-424-7100, or visit them on the web at brighthear.com. Late Night Help is proud of our partnership with the EBC, the Evolutionary Business Council. Check them out at ebcouncil.com. You're listening to Late Night Health with Mark Allen. The show continues in a moment. If you're listening to Late Night Health right now, you're part of the growing target of baby boomers we're serving. Hi, I'm Daryl Wayne, producer of Late Night Health, inviting you to join the Late Night Health family. If you have any business targeting the growing boomer market, Late Night Health is the ideal advertising vehicle for you. From vitamins to insurance, alternative health to Western-style medicine, Late Night Health caters to the growing population of those over 40 years old. This vibrant demographic has expendable income to fight aging, purchase travel, take care of aging parents or just have fun. Find out about the advertising opportunities with Late Night Health. Call us at 805-391-0308. That's 805-391-0308 or email us at info at latenighthealth.com. That's info at latenighthealth.com. Join Late Night Health as we empower people to take charge of their own health care. Call now at 805-391-0308. That's 805-391-0308. Sometimes it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Words are a critical aspect of success. How you get your point across is a crucial part of what makes anything sell. So do it right and hire a writer. Whether it's articles, blog posts, technical writings, website content, product descriptions, or ghost writing anything from a novel to a nonfiction book about your navel, contact Servette Hassan. If you want it to sell, write it right. Email Servette at Servette at ServetteHassan.com. We're talking about, well, it's something that I think would be very difficult, having a spouse who has a devastating disease and having that partner, one, tell you to live a life that you have to go on. I mean, you were young, Deidre. Deidre. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Deirdre. I was, Deirdre, Deirdre. Um, Bob died 10 months after his diagnosis, so... Um, he was 42. I mean, he was 43. I was 42. He was 44 when he died. So I was almost to my 43rd birthday. Um, so yeah, we were really young. We had young children. We had them later in life. Um, our daughter was born when I was 38. So yeah, we were, you know, even though we were in our early forties, we were kind of at the life goals, having earned our doctorates, you know, and spent our twenties doing that. We were sort of at those building a home and young children goals that some people are at in their thirties the um you know the, there's so many things here how did the kids take it i mean losing a parent at any age i don't care if you're 50 60 or 20 or 8 it's hard it's incredibly hard and while i've lost my parents i lost them when i was an adult granted a young adult for my mother so i can't know what it's like exactly for my children um but what i can say is 
we were honest from the beginning. Bob and I weren't people who sugarcoat a whole lot. And we'd always believed in being honest with our children about everything. Um, Bob used to say, if we lie to them, then who can they trust? You know, I mean, they're looking to us <laughs> to know about the world and we need to be honest with them. And so, um, you know, we doled it out in pieces, obviously, but we said, you know, dad's sick and he's not going to get better. And of course, as time went on, it became clearer. Um, there was a lot of conversation, more so with our son, who was a little bit older. Our daughter was, you know, only three and four. So there was only so much you could really discuss with her. Um, I think because they witnessed everything, because we were open, because um, we talked to them as much as we could, expressed our love and expressed what was going on. They were very present with us. Um, our son, you know, he was, he, he admitted, he said, I try to run out and play. You know, like, I don't really want it, to, it's hard. I don't want to be in the presence, you know? And our daughter was more, she was quick to express her emotions. She was more quick because she was so young. Um, in relation to the love interest, he, you know, he was a friend who actually we'd known for a number of years, but not very well. He was sort of, I like to say, he was several circle out, circles out in our friend circle. But since he was, I think often in my experience, I've had a lot of loss, the people who step up for you at a time like this are often not the ones in your inner circle. The ones you think are going to suddenly disappear. And I, it's my theory that that's because they're so intensely feeling the grief that they cannot be there for you. So the people just a little bit distant from you feel it enough to be there for you, but are not so overwhelmed that they run. And that's interesting because, you know, um, if you're looking for a job, you have a better chance of getting a referral from a stranger than from somebody in your inner circle. I don't know why that's true, but it, it seems to be the, the, uh, the, 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 the reality. That's fascinating. I did not know that. But I do think our emotions are so, you know, if we're really close to people, our emotions are so wrapped up with theirs. Um, so in this case, the kids were familiar with this good friend of ours before. I mean, they, they knew who he was, et cetera, et cetera. He came to a big annual party we had where we invited pretty much everybody we knew. Um, and then he became. Daryl and I will be here this year. You will. It's St. Patty's Day. That's our big holiday. <laughs> okay. We'll be there. Um, <laughs> but yeah. And you have to wear green or else I'm going to throw something on you and all that. Kind of stuff. But um, <laughs> yeah. So. But then, you know, he was around and it was actually kind of a smooth transition. I was really surprised, actually. I mean, that would be the thing you'd worry about as we but it was our son who um, when Bob was dying and we were like in the last moment said, I think we should call Dave. Don't you think he should be here? And I thought, oh, uh, OK, uh, sure. You know, I wasn't even thinking that way. Um, and then as we transitioned, the kids were very accepting, which tells me that there was a lot of awareness and comfort um, because of communication, I think. How old are the kids now? So our son is 19 and our daughter's 14. So your, your, your son's in college. He or was in college, but he's decided <laughs> that he's taking a, a gap year and figuring out what he wants to do next. He's thinking of trade school, so... Oh, okay. One year to college, and now he's kind of debating. And our daughter's in high school. She just began high school. The, 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 with um, 
Well, the fact is that I'm still looking for what I should do, too, in life. So let your son know it. It never changes. I feel the same way. One of my running jokes is, why is it that every day I think, what do I want to do when I grow up? (laughs) I I say that. My wife says that to me all the time. Um, With the loss of a partner, the loss of a parent, the loss of anybody, um, do you ever feel Bob around you now? All the time. All the time. Um, I just, I knew him really well. And so I, most of the time I know what he would think. Um, sometimes I really want his advice, uh, especially with the children, because I feel like, you know, he could bring in another perspective. Uh, Dave and I, I think are doing pretty well, you know, together raising the kids. Dave's been amazing. Um, really stepped into the role as somebody who had no biological children and we got together when he was in his early 50s so you know this was a big transition for him and he's been amazing but i think you know i think of bob all the time we celebrate him a lot we recognize his birthday the you know our anniversaries the anniversary of his death the anniversary of marriage anniversary of our first date um we do an als walk in his memory to raise money for research and a cure um, and to support the families that are facing it. I have a question for Daryl. Do you remember the date that you and Sherry met? Your first date? That we met. We had we had met uh, much uh, earlier than when we actually got together as a couple. So we knew each other for a, a, pe- a period of time prior. But uh, I, I could tell you what year we. <laughs> <laughs> ultimately uh, decided that uh, we were going to spend some time together, but uh, th- an exact date, no. I, it just sort of, you know. You fell into it? Yeah, sort of uh, became, worked it out over time. Got it. Got it. Soulmates. Absolutely soulmates. Would you say that Bob was your soulmate? And, and how does Dave fit into that? So... Bob and I never use the term soulmates, but the way people define it, yes. Like we didn't think of it that way because we always believed that getting with somebody is a combination of timing, you know, um, attraction and, you know, like-mindedness, being ready for that relationship. Um, But I did think that, you know, we were, like I said, two halves of the same person. Dave is in my, you know, belief, my second love of my life. Um, He would be my second soulmate. But we were actually, we're quite different. We're not similar in the way that Bob and I were. Um, so we were a little bumpier in the beginning. But uh, I also, I think, I you know, part of finding a place for Bob was keeping his place for him. And I didn't really want, I didn't want to replace him at all. I didn't want somebody like Bob. I wanted another person that would really compliment, you know, me and life and the kids' lives and that I was also attracted to and mad about. And I found that in Dave. Um, So they are my two, you know, central poles of my life, you know. Well, we have to end end here. I I know you're into poetry. You edit poetry and stuff. I wrote a poem. Roses are red, violets are uh, blue. Your book is cool and so are you. So um, uh, I don't know if that'll make any of your, your poetry anthologies, but 
it's yours if you want it. Listen, I thank you very much uh, for joining us today. The name of the book is Find a Place for Me, Embracing uh, Love and Life in the Face of Death. Daryl, thank you very much for uh, everything you do, and thank you for tuning in today. Have a great week, everybody. Have a good week. Most importantly, have a healthy week. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye for now.